Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Opening our Bibles once again to John chapter 15. We continue looking at this passage where Christ teaches us a great deal of spiritual truth in the analogy of the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered. And they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Well, it is a rich passage and deserves a great deal of reflection, and that is our goal, is to look at the words of this passage and to reflect upon them, to think about them to examine them carefully, to apply them to our lives, to meditate upon them that we might learn what our Lord has for us in this rich portion of his word. Thank you for joining me on this Sunday, January 1, 2023, the first Sunday of the new year. And many thanks to those radio listeners whose financial gifts keep us teaching God's word on this station. Well, the question is, How do we know that we are being fruitful? We read of the the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we've got bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, a little bit later in the passage, bearing much fruit. And the question is, what exactly is this fruit, and how do I know if I am being fruitful in the way that Christ is describing. It is easy to have our own ideas of what it means to be a fruitful Christian that may or may not be an accurate reflection of what the Bible teaches, and particularly in this passage, of what Christ is saying. So, 
how do we know if we are being fruitful? May I suggest several things from this portion of God's Word? Number one, if we are a reflection of God's Word, we are evidencing fruitfulness. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. My words abide in you. If we desire the Word, are continuing to study the Word, to learn what it means, to learn more about it, if we are applying the Word to our lives so that our lives are reflecting the truth of Scripture to others, then we are evidently being fruitful. Or what else? If we are giving evidence of discipleship. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. So will you be or become my disciples. A disciple, as we saw previously, is one who learns from and regulates his life according to the patterns of his chosen master. A disciple is a learner, a follower, an imitator, and an extender of that which his master teaches him. And if our lives reflect the Lord, if our lives reflect his teachings, we are following him, we are walking in his footsteps, we are imitating him, and we are extending his truth and his his life to others, then evidently we are being fruitful because discipleship is fruit-bearing. What else? Well, thirdly, if we are evidencing obedience, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've talked a great deal about the relationship of fruitfulness to the Word of God, but this passage reminds us that it is not enough simply to know the Word in the American idea, the American sense of knowing the Word, but we must be willing to obey it. We must be growing in obedience. We must have a continuing and growing desire to obey the Lord. Now, I say in the American understanding of knowing because actually the biblical understanding of knowing includes that idea. We don't really know something from a biblical standpoint unless we are obeying it. We are, we are simply, what should I say, we have become aware of something in the Bible if we are not obeying it. We know it's there, but we don't really know it in the biblical sense. But in the American sense, it is possible to know something and not have that knowledge affect our lives to any great degree. But this verse, verse 10, tells us that it's when we not know his commandments, but keep his commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Is there any question that Christ obeyed the Heavenly Father? He didn't just know the Father's will in the sense of saying, well, that's interesting. I'm 
Glad you revealed that little bit of information to me, Father. Thank you. And then went in a different direction. Of course not. That's ludicrous. We wouldn't even contemplate that possibility for a second. And yet somehow we think that it's possible for Christians to know the word and make up our minds along the way whether or not we're going to obey the word. Well, I can tell you something. If we're not obeying it, if we're not keeping his commandments, we are not being fruitful. But if we are obeying what he teaches us, then we are bearing much fruit. What else? Love. Love is a reflection of fruitfulness. Again, verse verse 9. As my Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my, my love. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. If you are demonstrating Christ-like love to others, you are demonstrating fruitfulness. That's challenging, isn't it? By our Adamic natures, we are very self-centered and very prone to put our comforts, our desires, our interests first, and everybody else second. But to love as Christ loved is to sacrifice for others. He laid down his life for us. That's the way he demonstrated his love to us. How do we demonstrate our love? In the same way that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friend. That's the greatest love. Now, when you set that out as a standard to measure our our level of love, I think most of us would have to admit that our love level is a lot lower than it needs to be, a lot lot lower than Christ's love level, If Christ only loved us to the same degree that we love others, where would we be? Think about that. Now, most of us don't have either opportunity or requirement to actually lay down our lives for others, like Christ did, to actually die as he died on the cross in his love for others. Most of us aren't called upon to do that. Some have been down through history, and the day may come when some of us may find ourselves in a similar situation. But, of course, there is more than one way to die for others. What did Paul teach us about dying? He taught us that if I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Put those two words together. <clears throat> what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is, well, it's a death, isn't it? The Old Testament sacrifices were the slaying of animals as they were placed upon the altar. Christ's sacrifice was his physical death, who died upon the cross in place of the death that we deserved. He died for his people, for those who trust in him. So that's a dying death, you might say. 
But the Bible talks about a living death, a a sacrificial life that is dying to self. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not a dying sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And I think that's what Christ is talking about here, and that is a great challenge. And what is the question? How do we know if we're being fruitful? What does fruitfulness look like? What do we look for in our lives that would evidence that we are indeed bearing much fruit? And one thing is that we are willing to sacrifice for others. How much of that can you identify in your life as you think about your relationship to others? It's a wonderful thing. I, From time to time, I will see demonstrations of that in other Christians who sacrifice greatly for the benefit of others, putting themselves second and putting others first, exactly like the Bible tells us to do. But it's it's so rare that when it happens, it stands out. We say, wow, isn't that an amazing demonstration of Christ-like love? Indeed it is, but the Bible indicates that that ought to be a normal demonstration of Christ-like love. Oh me, oh me, oh me. Wouldn't we rather talk about fruitfulness in terms of something else? Get off this subject, preacher. You're getting too close to home. You're stepping on my toes, no doubt. I've stepped on my own first before I've stepped on yours. But what are we talking about? What it means to be fruitful? We, uh, we know we are being fruitful when we reflect the Word of God out of our lives. We know we are being fruitful when we are true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we are being fruitful when we are obedient to Him, when we are keeping His commandments. We know we are being fruitful when we are loving others the way Christ loved us. Of course, one area for that is in the marriage relationship. I am constantly challenged by the statement of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, where he tells us, tells me, and tells all of all husbands, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the way Christ loved his bride. And that's how he calls upon us to love our wives. There are a lot of troubled marriages all throughout America today. I don't need to tell you that. Many of them fail. Many of them Divorce. When I was a young man, divorce was relatively uncommon. I can remember as a grade school boy, this goes way back, grade school boy, I only was aware of one person, one, one, uh, one of my friends whose, whose parents were divorced. It was very rare. Now, there may have been others that I didn't know about, but there weren't many. It was a pretty uncommon thing at that time, believe it or not. That's hard to believe and when we see what's going on in our world today. But divorce has become more and more and more prevalent, more common, so that even among God's people, there are 
many, many, many divorces. Now, I don't mean to be harsh or to to be more scathing to those Christians who have experienced divorce because there are all kinds of reasons for it. And not everyone is to blame for their divorce. I pastored long enough to have experienced, to have observed, and have dealt with a number of occasions where people have truly been abandoned by their spouse. When they did not desire that, they didn't, divorced by their spouse, when they did not desire that, when they resisted that and tried to repair the marriage as much as they could, and just, it did not seem possible. Of course, we don't always know what's going on behind the scenes, but from what was observable and what was discernible in in conversation and in uh, probing and counseling and trying to find out what's going on here, I recognize that there indeed are many people who have tried their best to keep their marriage intact, and it was impossible because their spouse was unwilling to do so. And I think the Apostle Paul deals with that reality in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about God's people doing the best they can to keep their marriages together, but if, and here's an interesting statement by Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, if the unbeliever depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not in bondage in such cases. I've come to understand that that is saying that when a Christian has been abandoned by an unbelieving spouse, that they are no longer in bondage to that marriage. That The other person has left the marriage, broken the marriage, left them alone, and they are no longer in bondage. And I'm confident that those situations constitute a biblical warrant for remarriage. It doesn't require it, but it does allow it. However, In an awful lot of cases, the abandonment is done by someone who claims to be a Christian. But they abandon their spouse. They're determined that they're no longer going to live in that marriage. In many cases, most cases, they have have their eye on somebody else, have already started cultivating a relationship with someone else, and again, who knows what's going on behind the scenes and how far that relationship has actually progressed. I'm sure in many cases there's actually been an adulterous relationship that has preceded this, but not in every case. But but at any rate, how many times it is people who are believers or insist that they are who abandon their spouses, that ought never to be Paul doesn't give any warrant for that in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, if the unbeliever depart, let them depart. A brother or sister that is a Christian believer is not in bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And it's apparent that Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 primarily has in mind people who were both unsaved when they entered into the marriage, and then one of them becomes a Christian, the other one does not. And if the unbeliever is not willing to live with a Christian spouse, it's like they, almost like they say, I didn't marry a Christian, 
And now you've changed. You've become a Christian. You've 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 altered the landscape. You've changed the relationship. You've 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 uh, in some cases they would would almost claim you've betrayed me. You've you've changed, and in in some cases it must seem like a betrayal. Before you didn't object to going to nightclubs and getting drunk and doing partying with me. We did that together. We enjoyed it together. But now you have become a Christian, and you won't do those things anymore. Your conscience won't allow. Your faithfulness to Christ won't allow. But you've changed. You're not living the way we used to live. I'm still living the way that I was living when we got married. You're the one who's changed, so I'm going to find someone who shares the same lifestyle that I do. I think Though that's unfortunate, and that's not what we want to see happen, I think we can understand why that should happen, but or not why it should happen, but why it may happen. But how does that work with two Christians? Something's amiss, isn't it? And evidently, in the case of a Christian husband, or someone who claims to be a Christian, who abandons his wife, there's no way that he can claim that he's being obedient to Ephesians 5, who loved his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When Christ loved his people, he loved them before they were his people. He loved them in utter sinfulness. He loved them when they were as unlovable, undesirable unfavorable to Christ and to his perfection and holiness as could possibly be. They were living out there in the world, and yet Christ loved them with the ultimate love and was willing to lay down his life in order to make them his bride, to bring them into a relationship with himself And that's what Christians are called upon to do. Christian husbands are called upon to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How do you reconcile that commandment with, I'm sorry, I've had enough, I can't put up with this anymore, I'm going somewhere else, I'm I'm going to someone else, I'm leaving this marriage, and I'm justified in doing it because you're not all you ought to be. Well, what if Christ had done that in regard to you? I will not love you. I will not apply my sacrifice to you. I I will not lay down my life for you because you're not what you ought to be. Wow. In other words, what I'm saying is, if Christian husbands, and it really does call into question someone who claims to be a Christian but abandons his wife, If Christian husbands love their wives in the way that is required to the extent of Christ loving the church and giving himself for it, there would probably be a whole lot fewer divorces. And again, I don't want to be too hard on husbands because I know sometimes it's the wife who doesn't want to live with the husband, the wife who goes her own way, the wife many times who claims to be a Christian. Only God knows the heart. But here's the thing. I'm challenged by that 
requirement in Ephesians chapter 5, and I readily confess I continue to fall short of that standard. Loving my wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, oh, how far short of that love I fall, but oh, how I want to be that kind of a husband, and I pray by the grace of God I will become that kind of husband, or at least become more in the direction of that kind of husband as I grow in grace and knowledge. And that's not just, however, for relationships between husbands and wives. According to our passage here, in the in the vine and the branches, that's for all of us. All relationships. Isn't that what he said? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Well, it is true that what I have just read may be properly understood as saying, you are to love others. Isn't that what Christ told his disciples? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And it's particularly this love in, within the body of Christ, this love between believers that he's talking about. And it's very true that maybe what Christ is saying in this passage is not that I'm requiring you to lay down your life for others, but I'm telling you that's what I have done, and that is the pattern, that's the standard. And if you don't reach that standard, at least you should be demonstrating a sacrificial love toward others. A living sacrifice. We may not lay, lay down our lives for others, but we are to put the interests of others before our own. Oh my, there go my toes hurting again because that goes against my Adamic sinfulness. I tend to put my interest first and others second, and the Bible requires that I do just the opposite. And again, what are we talking about? How do we know when we're being fruitful? We know that we're being fruitful when we demonstrate this kind of sacrificial love toward others. When we can point to things in our life and say, here's, here's, here's an occasion, here's an occasion, here's an occasion where I put my interest aside and put others ahead of me. My financial interest, my comfort, my interest and desire for comfort. I was willing to give of myself in ways that I preferred not to do, but I did it for Christ and I did it for others. I did it because of his love for me and for, uh, because of his requirement of how I should love others. Did you ever sing that children's song that I that's coming to my mind right now that goes like Jesus and others and you? What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others in you in the heart of each girl and each boy. J is for Jesus, for he holds first place. O is for others you meet face to face. Y is for you, and whatever you do, put yourself last and spell joy. Yeah, that's not a bad thing to teach our boys and girls, is it? And it is maybe not a totally accurate, but pretty close reflection of what Christ is saying here. And again, what are we talking about? We're talking about the evidence of 
fruitfulness. What's another one? Joy, verse 11. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I would submit to you that a constantly grouchy Christian is not a fruit-bearing Christian. I would submit to you that a commonly complaining Christian is not a fruit-bearing Christian. I would submit to you that a Christian who maintains a critical spirit and is always criticizing others is not a fruit-bearing Christian. Fruit-bearing Christians have lives that are full of joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Well, there's a few things to consider as to how we know when we are being fruitful and how we can measure the fruit bearing in our own lives. And it is, well, it is convicting, isn't it? But that's exactly what we need to understand. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.